0: Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 20th episode, the Kevin Magnussen episode, aka K-Mag, and I am here ahead of the French Grand Prix. Yes, it is race week, and I am so excited because we got another doubleheader coming up before the mid-season break. We just had a week off, and I am so glad that Formula One is back this weekend. And these two races could be absolutely huge for the championship, so let's get right into the Paul Ricard preview. It's lights out and away we go! I honestly feel bad for people who don't watch the Sky Sports feed. There's just no better start to a race than lights out and away we go. It's so iconic, I absolutely love it. And last year, the start in Le Castellet made the race very interesting. Verstappen got away well from pole but it almost, he almost lost it at turn one, went off the track, giving Hamilton the lead. The race ended up being almost the opposite of Spain, where, if you remember, the Mercedes um, of Lewis Hamilton won the race with their brilliant two-stop strategy. This time, Mercedes, they opted to stay out and do the one-stop, and it ended up costing them with P1 with Hamilton and P3 with Bottas as both Red Bulls took those places in the dying stages of the race because of their two-stop strategy. Verstappen won the race, and I believe that was before he won the doubleheader in Austria. So it was kind of the start of a huge run for Verstappen, and it was in the middle of a run for Red Bull because that was just after Monaco and Azerbaijan, which was won by Verstappen and then Perez. So at this point of the season, Red Bull was looking absolutely on fire and that is not the case in this season, as Ferrari just came off of two straight wins, signs Leclerc. Can Ferrari keep it going and do what Red Bull did last year? We'll see. But that 2021 race, I always remember, um, speaking of the strategy, I always remember Bottas just furious with the team after the race, saying that they never listened to him and that he told them it'll be a two-stop strategy. And my heart broke for Bottas that day, honestly. Because it was, it just brought back all of those uh, Valtteri, it's James jokes back. Because he he did get shafted quite a few times at Mercedes in favor of Lewis Hamilton. But nevertheless, um, another thing to note uh, from last year's French Grand Prix was that it was arguably the worst race of the season for Ferrari. Uh, they struggled massively with tired egg. and both drivers finished out of the points, way off the pace. Charles Leclerc finished P sixteen and I believe he had no problem reliability-wise. P16 for Leclerc, that is awful. Um, I don't think that'll be the case here at all, but I'll leave my prediction for Ferrari until a bit later. Let's talk about the circuit a little bit first. Uh, Historically, the French Grand Prix has been dominated by Michael Schumacher with eight wins at a single event, uh, which is tied for the record with Lewis Hamilton at the British Grand Prix and the Hungarian Grand Prix. However... All those wins were at the magny cours circuit. The actual king of Paul Ricard is Frenchman Alain Prost. Since 2018, F1 returned to Paul Ricard for the foreseeable future, and it is one of the tracks fans have typically been critical of because, well, the races, kind of like Spain, are a bit vanilla. Um, but this is a different year. You know, Azerbaijan has typically been crazy for years, and so far it was one of the weakest races of the season, let's be honest. And meanwhile, like I said, Spain, typically a vanilla race, was pretty epic this year. So who's to say Le Castellet won't be great? Uh, We have Ferrari on the up, and Mercedes, a dark horse for the race. Um, It could be a three-team fight for the race win, something we really haven't seen. Spain saw Ferrari crumble. um, At Silverstone, Uh, Red Bull had a bad day. In Canada, it was close, but Mercedes was just a bit too far off the pace, Um, and every other race has just been Red Bull and Ferrari, really, so we could finally get six drivers on the pace for a race win, and that's an exciting prospect. Um, So some of you after Austria might be wondering why I'm giving Mercedes so much credit, because they kind of weren't really that close last week, or last race week, (laughs) Um, but... It's actually not me giving them so much credit. It's it's This is coming straight from Red Bull team principal Christian Horner. Uh, obviously, the traditional uh, smooth circuits that are much more flowing and don't have as many slow speed corners have been nice to the W13 so far. But Horner said himself that Red Bull, quote, expect Mercedes to be quick in Paul Ricard and that, quote, they're showing flashes of being there or thereabouts. Um, He also said that the last two races have been pretty decent for them, and there's been no sign, I think, of any porpoising at all. So they seem to be slowly bringing themselves back into the game. Um, So yeah, maybe my bias is showing a little bit here, but objectively, I'd like to see more teams fighting at the front, no matter who they are. Imagine Alpine or McLaren were able to make that step. That'd be incredible. I mean, if both of them, imagine five teams... Had the car under them that were able to compete for a race win, that would be amazing. Uh, The more the better. Another reason Mercedes could be closer is that the floor rule is coming into effect. Um, It's regarding the wooden plank underneath the car and a few other things. uh, The flexi floors that teams have produced, namely Ferrari and Red Bull. And I think I reported that this was coming into effect for the British Grand Prix, um, but that was incorrect. The rule is actually coming into Le Castellet, um, so I apologize for that. But now we might finally see a small change in the pecking order. It could bring down Ferrari and Red Bull. It could help Mercedes. It could maybe be a disadvantage because it's not just the wooden plank rule. There's other rules coming into effect as well. But I'm not going to get into it too much. I don't want to get super technical on the show, especially when I actually have a lot of to- lot to talk about today. So um, with all that being said, what are my predictions then? Um, I'm going with the top three in qualifying of three different teams. I'm going to go with Leclerc, Verstappen, and Russell. So yeah, different top three. I'm going with Russell, qualifying Hamilton. And Leclerc, I'm going to say he takes the seventh pole of the season. In the race, though, I think Red Bull bounces back with Verstappen on the top step, followed by Leclerc and Perez. So I think during the race, Red Bull's race pace is going to be superior. Um, And I'll go Russell staying ahead of Hamilton, going P4. And Sainz settles for P6. That means it'll be the first time since Miami that the top three teams all finish in the top six. And the reason I have Sainz P6 is that I believe he will take an engine penalty. Um, but he will be able to recover, of course, to sixth place. Um, my bold prediction for this race though, and I don't believe I've done very well on my bold predictions, um, is that I think Williams will have a strong weekend. I'm going to go Albon, uh, gets P9. And if he's not voted driver of the day, he will get votes for driver of the day. He, I just think he's going to have a fantastic weekend. Um, I think this will be the first weekend Latifi has his Williams upgrades and, I don't know, I think Williams was strong in France last year. They got the upgrades. Both they both cars finally have the upgrades this week. And I think they have a good weekend. I, I, I still think Williams finishes 10th in the Constructors. But I'll say they pick up another two points here in France. Um, now, there's a, this is usually a time where I go to silly season. but And I'm going to. But there's a certain team I want to talk about before we get into it. So let's do that. You know, I thought about past episodes, and I actually feel like there's a few teams that I haven't talked about a whole lot, and um, this team is definitely one of them. This is a team that flies under the radar and pretty much everywhere except for France, so I think you know where I'm going with this. What better time to give the Endstone-based team some love, because honestly, they deserve it this year. I kind of hate the pink livery, to be honest, especially considering Alpine was one of if not my favorite liveries last year, but I digress. Alpine is far from what they were when Fernando Alonso won back-to-back championships in the Renault. But given what they've been in recent years and the fact that they're now the only team with the Renault engine, like they have no customers, the performance they've shown this year has impressed me. I put out a poll on my Twitter account and the question was an over-under for whether Alpine would score 11.5 points And surprisingly, every single person who's voted so far has voted for over at their home race. And I found that to be quite shocking. Um, That means the team would have to score a worst, a P5 and a P9, or a P6 and a P8. Uh, So no matter what, the team has to either, either have Alonso or Ocon classified in the top six. Something the team has only done four times, if you include last weekend's sprint race where they did it twice. Um, so that's kind of a, in 11 races, I mean, 13, if you include the sprint races, they've only done it four times. So you're kind of already, um, betting against the gray in there a little bit, but, um, Ocon also doesn't really have a great history here at Paul Ricard. He was unfortunately taken out in 2018 by his fellow Frenchman, Pierre Gasly. And in 2021, he finished in a lowly P14, one lap down from race winner, Max Verstappen, well, his teammate Fernando Alonso scored a P8 finish for the team, so that's that's not a great look from Ocon. And I think that was right after he signed that three-year deal. Um, Fernando in France has won from Poole, but again, that was at the Magny-Cours circuit in the area of Michael in the era of Michael Schumacher was not at Paul Ricard. Um, I know I just knocked Alpine down a peg, even though the purpose of this segment was to hype them up. I just wanted to point out that I think. Everyone saying that they're going to have a driver in the top six is, is going to be difficult, uh, considering they're a clear fourth best in my eyes. So you're kind of hoping for something crazy to happen up front, and that has been happening a lot lately. Like I said, it's hasn't happened since Miami that the top six all finished in the top six, or the sorry, the top three teams all finished in the top six. Um, but I I imagine I imagine Alpine's goal this season was. To be as good as they could possibly be, of course, that's what every team is striving for, right? But realistically, I think they have to be happy with fourth place. And for anyone saying, oh, what about McLaren, you're writing them off, they're tied right now. Um, I think given the performances of their drivers um, and the bad luck Alpine has had, especially Alonso... Alpine should be well clear of McLaren at this at the moment. Um, McLaren has had higher highs as they're the only team outside the top three to score a podium. With Lando finish P3 and Emila, um, the P5 and P6 finish in Australia was was brilliant for McLaren. But the lows have been extremely low for them as well. Like in Bahrain, just an awful disgrace of a car, finishing P14 and P15, way off the pace. And pointless finishes in Miami and Canada. Um, if I had to guess by the end of the season, based on what we've seen so far, Alpine's going to find themselves with over 200 points by season's end. While McLaren, I, I don't really think it's going to be all too close. They're going to be 40-ish points off of them. Um, and I also think Alonso is going to break that Lando Norris kind of stat. I think he's definitely going to be on the podium at some point this season as well. Um, And kind of in this debate with the Alpine drivers, and since we're mentioning McLaren as well, I want to show f one for a moment. He's an F1 content creator on YouTube who had an absolutely brilliant take regarding the performance difference between Ocon and Alonso. So while Ocon has had a solid season, with 52 points to Alonso's 29, and, you know, a lot of people have commended Ocon for outscoring the former two-time world champion. Well, I guess he is a two-time world champion, but anyway, (laughs) you know what I mean. Um, Most would say that Alpine has had the better car than McLaren, yet Ocon hasn't had near the bad luck of Alonso and sits 12 points back of Lando Norris. And you almost can't even gauge Alonso versus Ocon in terms of points. So that's why comparing to Lando almost makes a little bit more sense. Alonso has had like half the races because of his reliability. I think through 11 races, he said six races where something came and affected his result. That is awful luck. So when you compare to Lando, Ocon, um, compare Ocon to Lando, sorry, Lando's basically had an undrivable car in Bahrain, he got taken out of Miami, McLaren was shocking in Canada for whatever reason, and he's dealt with tonsillitis, if you remember that. I I don't know how much that really would have affected his result, but it's worth mentioning. Um, Ocon has had to start from the pit lane once in Imola, didn't recover to score points. It's a, it's a tough track to recover to score points from that far back. I actually think he had a solid race, but at a certain point, you just you just run into a DRS train that a lot of people were struggling with. So, that that was a tough one for him. Um, and then he had the breakdown in Silverstone. That's, that. those are the only things that have happened to Ocon so far this season, and, so, you could argue that Ocon has actually dealt with less issues than Lando Norris, but still finds himself behind. And I think pretty much everyone would agree that Lando is probably a better driver than Ocon. I think some people consider Lando to be a potential future world champion. Um, so, it's not like we're saying, oh, Ocon should be outperforming Lando Norris. Like, if they're in the same car, like, No. It's the fact that Alpine has had the better car, but Lando is still, like, doing better than Ocon is. So, really, even though Ocon has been consistent, has he really been that great? When you see someone getting more out of a worse car um, by 12 points as well. And you could say, like we have kind of just mentioned, that Norris has actually had more issues with his McLaren than Ocon has with this Alpine. Um, So I guess the argument really is that Alonso was in that same situation and actually had some reliability. Would he be clear of Lando Norris? And my answer is that I think so, and that is also what Tomo said. So that was an absolutely just brilliant note from him, and it gave me just a completely different perspective of Ocon's season so far because I've seen some people... Say that he's had one of the best seasons, but also to give some others have just given him no credit. And any time that people just kind of didn't even like, even in the Austria review, people were talking about how great of a race it was for Mick Schumacher. And um, obviously, you're going to talk a lot about the front runners like Leclerc, who had a brilliant race, um, but no one was mentioning Ocon. And I was like, man, like P5 is a great result for him, but. I think when you think about it, that's where his car should be, right? You, you don't say, you don't think the Haas should always be in P6, but if there's no Ferrari and there's no Red Bull, or sorry, like, you know what I mean, there's no signs and there's no Paras, so there's one, one missing from each team. The Mercedes are going to be in there, and then the other Ferrari and the other Red Bull, the next best car should be the Alpine, and Ocon dealt with no issues, so he finished exactly where he should finish, right? I think that's kind of where Tomo's coming from, and I think he's right. So maybe i got to chill a little bit on the Ocon hype, but I still think this he, – he's proven that he deserves to be in Formula 1 by now. He missed a season in 2019, and the, the performances that he's put together so far this season with Alpine have been commendable. They might not just be as good as some are making it out to be. The fact that he's outscored Alonso. Okay, <laughs> I've broken that down. But anyway, I I, I want to predict a little bit what Alpine is going to do in the French Grand Prix. I didn't mention them in my predictions because I don't think they're going to be on the podium by any means. But I envision I envision a solid race for them. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Alonso puts it P7, best of the rest after the top six. Like I said. And I'm going to put Ocon P9. So it's going to be a double points finish. But I would vote for under. Um, the 12.5 or 11.5. What did, I, what did I even say? It was 11.5 points. Um, that's only 8 points. For P7 and P9. Um, but I believe it's going to be more points. Than their championship rivals. McLaren and Alfa Romeo. So I think that's still a good good weekend. For Alpine. And it's not a max result. But it's almost pretty close. So. That's that, that, That'll be the last of me talking about Alpine on this episode, but they're a team that I'm going to try to mention more often, as well as teams like Alfa Romeo um, and Alpha Tauri and Aston Martin and even some Williams. Um, I don't want to leave the midfield in the dust because the midfield has actually been very interesting this season. Um, but anyways, let's talk about Silly Season now. I said before the British Grand Prix that this would be the final silly season, barring any major announcements regarding the driver market. And I wouldn't say there was a major announcement, besides maybe Ricardo returning to McLaren in 2023. Um, you know, CEO Zach Brown and Ricardo himself confirmed that Danny would be back with the team. And there are rumors about a particular driver um, that I'm going to talk about today. This is before the announcement that they'd potentially be a front-runner for that seat. His name? Sebastian Vettel. Despite Fernando Alonso driving at the age of 41 in a couple weeks' time, and Lewis Hamilton pondering retirement after the end of 2021, um, not to mention he's mentioned numerous times that he doesn't want to be in F1 in his 40s, it's the younger Sebastian Vettel that people predict to be done with F1 sooner. Uh, The German four-time champion with Red Bull, of course, is one in question, and I believe it's because of two things. Um, the first and more obvious one being the fact that the move to Aston Martin just hasn't worked out for Seb. Fresh off of one of the best seasons the Silverstone-based team has ever had when they were named Racing Point, of course. Vettel needed a new team after he was replaced at Ferrari by Carlos Sainz. It looked like a good idea to go over there. They arguably should have been third in the championship that season in 2020. They just missed out. Um, and it looked like Aston Martin was going to be a team on the up. Um, speaking of Tomo, I, I love his videos. He, he was, he makes fun of himself because he was predicting that in like 2023, Aston Martin could be world champions. That, that's a laughable take at this point. So I, I lifted you up, Tomo. Now I'm bringing it down. I'm sorry. I, he probably doesn't listen, listen to this, but anyways, um, <laughs> Um, it was it was Vettel's dream to win for Ferrari. Uh, of course, he left Red Bull for Ferrari, and even though we had the the car to do so, and arguably should have won in 2017, and some will say arguably should have won in 2018 as well, had it not been for some mishaps. Cough Singapore. Cough. Um, I'm sorry, Ferrari fans, for mentioning Singapore 2017, but I just had to. Um, yeah, Vettel was not able to win in either of those years had it been for some of those mishaps, right? So his his final years there also, they weren't great to say the least, Uh, especially Ferrari's nightmare 2020 season. But I feel like ever since um, Leclerc joined Ferrari in place of Kimi Raikkonen, that's kind of where the downfall of Seb kind of started. And I don't think uh, Hockenheim helped either when he – Crash out of the lead. That was that was that was a tough one for Seb as well. But um, the second reason I think, and it's I don't think it's as big as uh, the fact that it just hasn't worked out at Aston Martin. But it, I think this matters as well. You know, a lot of people have mentioned his d- demeanor around the uh, F1 paddock. You know, he just stormed out of a FIA meeting the other day and. Also, his off-track interests. Um, he's admitted himself to being a hypocrite when it comes to the whole like fuel debate, um, considering he drives in a very fuel-hungry sport as an environmentalist. If he no longer loves what he does here in Formula 1, I don't think he'll want to contribute to that problem anymore, and he'll try to look to be you know more of an activist, because he already does some great things even while he's in Formula 1. If he spent all his time doing that, I think Seb would really enjoy himself. Um, but let's be honest. He knows someone else would just come in and take his place. So, if he, if he still loves doing it, why wouldn't he continue? Um, but anyways, I want to talk about two prospects regarding Seb. Uh, the big one being if Seb were to retire, and then I'm gonna briefly mention just talk about you know what he would look like if he drove for McLaren. So, if Seb were to retire, which if I had, I, like I said, I don't think. Any of those um, veteran three drivers, Lewis, Fernando, and Seb, I don't think any of them are going to retire this season, to be honest. Um, but I wanted to talk about Seb first, and he's kind of been the one in being talked about a little bit more recently on social media. Um, but yeah, if he were if he were to retire, who's replacing him at Aston Martin is basically the question, and I don't think there's anyone obvious. You know, some teams have. Like, oh, if this person's gone, obviously he's slotting in. You know, um, Alpine, if Fernando retired, it's just Oscar Piastri. There really is no, like, debate here on who it would be. It would be Piastri. If, you know, Williams had someone gone, I think Piastri potentially, possibly even Nico, uh, or not Nico, Um, Nick DeVries, but since I said Nico already, Nico Holkenberg is the Aston Martin reserve driver. He could slot in. I'm not sure if he is the person they'd want to bring back. But if you look at F2, I don't think there's anyone obvious there either. It's kind of, it, I think it's a good grid we have in F2, but there's no like superstar. I think some people would argue Teo Portier, Porcher. Uh, Logan Sargent might make it to F1 eventually. Felipe Drogovic, the guy who's winning the F2 championship right now he he's questionable. I don't think Dennis Hauger is ready. Um yeah, just just to name a few, there's just there's no one obvious there. So may, maybe they would look to sign Felipe Drugovich. I don't know. And maybe even though we kind of have Piastri tied to Alpine and Williams at the moment, maybe he surprises everyone and signs with Aston Martin of Seb retires. Who knows? Um Piastri definitely needs to see it for next year. And I guess the last Possibility is that maybe Ricardo swaps with with Vettel. Like we said, Vettel was rumored as a potential front runner for the McLaren seat. If that were to happen, maybe Ricardo just goes back and drives an Aston Martin. Because when I talked about Ricardo's silly season, I think I mentioned that it re- like no openings are really there, and that. It would be like Williams or Haas, basically. And I just don't think he would be interested in that or just really any mutual interest. I don't think Williams or Haas would want that either. Um, But anyways, what would Vettel look like at McLaren? Um, And how would he fare next to Lando Norris? Because we saw how he did next to a Charles Leclerc. And I think some people... I think most now, because Lando's hasn't really had a chance to fight in a car like... Leclerc has now but Leclerc probably ha- is ahead on most people's lists but some people consider them to be kind of similar in, in pace in some ways so we've seen how Vettel did against Leclerc how how is he doing against Lando and Norris I think it would be better than how Daniel Ricciardo is doing so far although I would have to guess that Vettel is probably still losing to his teammate And I also think that he'd be able to show more of what he's capable of than in the Aston Martin, although I think that's a given. Um, This silly season is hard to talk about because I just, I don't think Vettel's going to retire. So I feel like we're kind of talking about these crazy scenarios that are just probably unlikely to happen. But I think it would be very interesting because Vettel is just so likable and I think, the majority of of people would love to see him back in a car that can at least fight for something. You know, the Aston Martin is just not a good car this year. I think it's definitely ninth quickest. So he's also just hard to gauge because it's been a couple years since we've seen Vettel. It's been a few years because the 2020 Ferrari was rarely ever competitive. Um, And then the Aston Martin last year, he, he has to like, a couple podiums. I think in Turkey 2020 he's on the podium. 2021 Baku, who was on the podium. He should have been on the podium um in Hungary last year. That was a great race where he almost took the win over uh, Esteban Ocon. Um but yeah, like I said, he's just hard to gauge cuz that car is just just hasn't been good. Um but yeah, before I wrap it up here, I want to make a, just a quick announcement. Um, I've started a YouTube channel for this uh, podcast. I'm just going to put all my past episodes and new episodes, hopefully planning on doing some video uh, very soon instead of just audio. Um, so kind of making that channel, getting kind of getting ahead so when I do move to video, I already have a YouTube channel, so that will be great. Um, and also TikTok, I'm going to start making some other content on TikTok as well. I'm going to keep doing podcast clips on there, but I think I'm also just going to uh, make some other content and I'm going to hopefully look for someone who actually wants to uh, maybe join the podcast as a co-host or at least on TikTok making content um, on there, because I think that is a great place to kind of market the podcast. So I would say those are just some small announcements, things that I'm working on in um, the website is still in the works. So you can look forward to those things. So that'll do it for the KMAG episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 21 next Monday after the French Grand Prix. Allez les bleus. Goodbye.